Last week, if you recall, we looked at Acts 28. And I'll give, I'll give the whole recap of last week's message in, in a sentence. I bet y'all wish I would have done that last week, but the mission of Acts continues to the present day. Well, that's what, that's what we looked at last week. We looked at how the mission in Acts, the Holy Spirit coming and empowering people to share the gospel, uh, and the gospel triumphantly marching forward, continues to this day. The book was left open-ended. But a question that we didn't really ask a lot last week was what is the mission, Right? The mission continues, but what is the mission? We kind of left that vague. Well, I don't know if y'all know this about me, but I'm a runner. Like, I, I enjoy running. I know you can tell, like, I, I, I look like a runner. But, uh, I, no, seriously, though, I, I participated in the, uh, the Kelby Pilcher 5K this past year, and I thought I was going to die. It was, it was painful. But uh, they, were, they were just explaining, you know, be- right before the run, that, you know, it started there by, the, uh, by the, the field, the softball field there in Florine. And it went over the bridge, down Ebenezer Road. And then once you got to uh, about the church or so, you would turn around and you'd run back. The finish line was right where you started. So I got this great idea, and I didn't do it, but I should have. I got this great idea of, let's redefine where the finish line is. And you know, that first bridge, right as you turn out of the high school, that first bridge right there, what, what if we made that the finish line? So like, right there near the start of the race, you know, I'm running through, I mean, just like you see in the movies, you know, and, and you know, the, the victory music is playing, and I cross over the bridge, and I'm just like, yeah, I won, I won! What would happen? Everybody look at me like I'm crazy. They'd say, that's not the, that's not the finish line. You, you, you crossed it too early. You've got you to run the whole thing. Or, in my case, you've got to walk the whole thing. See, I think when it comes to answering the question about what is the mission, we usually answer that question by saying, well, it's to get people from darkness to light. The mission is to share the gospel, and for people to come and know Christ. And it is. But that's only half true. Why do I say that? Because Jesus actually tells us that it's more than that. Jesus says this in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19. He says, Go therefore, and what? Make disciples of all nations. Jesus is saying, hey, if, if you just stop after like, hey, we, we, we won you to Christ, and that's the finish line, then we've stopped too early. Because Jesus did not envision a church filled with people making converts. Jesus envisioned a, His church going and making disciples. And I think oftentimes what happens is, we get someone saved and someone accepts Christ and we rejoice, we baptize them. And for us, that's the end of the road. The, for the rest of it, you're, just, you're on your own. You know, it's the church's job to get you to that point and then the rest, you're just, you know. And Jesus is saying what? He's saying, I don't want you just to do that. I want you to do the extra work and make disciples. 
In other words, the work of the church is not just merely to stop at getting someone saved, leading them to Christ, but the work of the church is to continue to grow them to maturity. In other words, the mission goes a lot farther than a lot of times we think it does. In Ephesians 4, Paul is talking about Christian unity. He's talking about how the Holy Spirit gives us all different gifts as He chooses. He knits us together in one body. As He talks about unity, I start thinking, well, why is that important that the church be united? Why is it important to have Christian unity? And the reason, of course, is because unity is a symptom of something else. When there is unity in a church, when there's unity among the body of Christ, that's a symptom of the gospel being treasured. That's a symptom of, of Christ being honored by his people. And so when you have the gospel treasured, when you have Christ honored, there's going to be unity. And so on the, the flip side of that, disunity in the church is, is not a problem in and of itself, but it's actually a symptom of a greater problem. And that problem is not just that, well, people can't get along. No, it, the greater problem is they don't treasure Christ. So he's talking about unity and he's talking about how God gives the church all sorts of different parts to fulfill its mission. And then he turns his attention and says, and God gives to the church leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, shepherds, to equip the church to fulfill the mission. But he says something very interesting here, and let's, let's dive into the text. And if you would please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. We'll start in verse 11. He said He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers... Why did He give the church these people? Verse 12. To equip the saints. Who are the saints? That's us. More than a football team that's playing today. That's us. To equip each and every one of us for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. There you have it right there. We are all called to this mission of carrying forth the ministry. But Paul, how long do we do it? What is the finish line of this mission? What is the finish line of our ministry? Look at the next verse, verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Word that calls us all 
to be on this mission along with you. Lord, help us to see that each and every one of us, if we're in Christ, that we are part of this mission. That we're part of the work that you're doing in the world. Help us to see, Lord, that each and every one of us is indispensable. And help us to see, Lord, that we should strive for Christian maturity. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this, in this passage, Paul is saying that God has given us these people, the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, the shepherds. He's given us these people to equip each and every one of us to do the work of ministry. Or say it a different way, He's given us all of, all of these people so that each and every Christian in the church can be on mission. In other words, it's not just the pastor's job. It's not just the deacon's job. It's not just you know, the staff's job. But it's each and every one of our jobs to be on this mission with Him. Okay, now, that's the mission. But notice what Paul says. He turns his attention to how long we should do this. What is the goal of ministry? What is the finish line of ministry? What is the finish line of our mission? The thing that we're going to see here in this passage this morning is for the church, that means that the finish line of our mission is to make disciples who grow to maturity. As a church, that's what we're all about. But not just as a church, but for us as individuals, the finish line of our walk with Christ is to grow in maturity. So in other words, this morning, we're going to talk about the church, yes, but we're going to talk about us as individuals too and how each and every one of us has the responsibility to grow to maturity. So the first thing that we see here, starting in verse 13, is that we should strive for Christian maturity. Notice what he says. Until we all attain. How long are we supposed to do this Christian walk? How long are we as a, as a body of believers supposed to be on this mission? Until we all attain maturity. That word until there answers the question for us, how long do we carry on? What's the goal? What's the finish line? In other words, Christ doesn't want us to just stop short of the finish line. Christ doesn't want us to, to enter into a walk with Him and say, well, good, I'm, I'm forgiven, I'm free, and now I'm just going to park it right here and say, call this the finish line. His will is for us to move on to maturity. He says, until we all attain. That word attain means, when it's used in traveling, to arrive at a destination. Or here it's used to reach a point, to reach a goal. But I want you all to see two little words there in that first phrase in verse 13. Until who attains? We all. You see, Christian maturity is not just something that a few elite Christians should strive for, but Christ's goal is for each and every believer, listen, to strive for maturity. That means there's no excuse for, for somebody to say, you know what, I, I, I'm good where I am, Lord. I'm just going to hang out where I am. I'm going to keep the status quo. No. 
Christ says you're supposed to strive for maturity, to yearn for it. That is the goal. So Paul states the goal in, in three different ways. And if you look right after the, the uh, phrase we just looked at in the beginning of verse 13, you see the first one. We're striving until we attain to, number one, the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. The unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Basically, Paul is saying that what we're striving for is perfect unity that comes from faith and knowing Christ. Once again, unity is not just a thing in and of itself. It's a symptom. So why is he saying that that's what we should strive for? It seems like there's so much more important things that we should strive for over unity. But notice, when we have that kind of unity together, when we're united because of our faith and because of our knowing Christ, that means that we are growing into maturity. It's a symptom of what's happening to us. So the, the first way he describes it is by saying unity. Look at the second thing he says right after that. To mature manhood. Or maybe put it a different way, to mature adulthood, so that we include y'all ladies out there. To mature adulthood. Uh, that word mature could be translated as perfect or fully grown. It's the idea of somebody who, who has matured to the point that they are fully grown, that they don't need any more growing and maturing. But what is maturing measured by? Notice the third thing he says. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I love the way the NLT puts it. It says, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So what's the measuring stick for how mature we should be? When, when can we finally say, you know, I've matured to the point that I, I have arrived? We measure it by Christ. He is the measuring stick. In other words, we're to strive for maturity until we're as mature as He is. And by the way, that's perfect maturity. That's perfect maturity. So is Paul describing a place that we can achieve now? Is he describing this perfect maturity as something that we can get in this life? In part, yes, but in its fullness, no. In other words, you're never going to arrive on this side of eternity. You're never going to arrive in this life to perfect maturity. But the things it says about maturity still rings true for us in this life. He's describing ultimately what it's going to be like when we finally reach the end. One day, not in this life, we will be completely free and we will be perfectly mature in Christ. I like to think about it this way. When we were first saved, we were freed from the penalty of sin. The moment that we accept Christ, we receive His forgiveness and He doesn't hold our sin against us. As we walk with Christ through this Christian life and as He transforms us, we are being freed from 
the power of sin. And we see that happening more and more as we are transformed by Christ. As we move along this Christian life, we see Him working and delivering us from strongholds in our lives. But there's going to come a day, church, where we're not just going to be freed from the penalty of sin. We're not just going to be freed from its power. But there's going to come a day when we finally, at the very end, when everything is made complete, that we will be freed even from the presence of sin. And so that means that right now, we struggle. But there's going to come a day when we will struggle no more. Right now, we fight the flesh. We fight sin. But there's going to come a day when that fight will end. Right now, we try to make sense of things. We try to fight temptation. We try to walk through this life. There's going to come a day where we're going to reach maturity and we no longer have to fight. And notice what he says the result of these things will be. He says in the next verse, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. The result of us growing into maturity is we're not going to be like kids anymore. Now, why why is that important? Why does he say that? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever thought about how easy it is to deceive a child? It's easy, right? That's why, we, that's why we have phrases like, it's like taking candy from a baby. Of course, whoever said that probably has never taken candy from a baby. It's actually harder than it looks. It's easy to deceive a child. Why? Because they're a, they're a child. They don't have the experiences that we have. They don't have the, the, the wisdom that, that we grow up to have. But listen, as we get older, we're not going to be tricked by as much, are we? As we grow and the older and more mature and wiser that we get, we're not going to be fooled by these easy things. And so Paul's saying, as we grow into maturity, we're going to become more and more adult-like which means that we won't be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes in verse 14. There's going to come a day where we arrive completely. And so he's telling us that we should strive for that maturity. Once again, it's not just something that, oh, in the future we'll arrive there, but right now I don't have to worry about it. We should strive for maturity even now. And listen, if the mission of the church is to bring people to the finish line, and if Christian maturity is the finish line, what are we doing to make that happen? What are we doing? Is our, is our mindset, let's get people saved? Or is our mindset, let's bring them to Christ and then continue to walk with them and continue to grow them? That's the mission of the church. That's where the finish line is. 
And to be honest with you, I would rather baptize 10 people who are moving towards maturity than baptize 100 and all but 10 walk away from the faith. Because what we do, church, when we set the finish line too close, when we say, well, our, our job is to get people saved and get them baptized, and then we reach the end, what we end up doing is we put people in a worse spot than they were before they met us. And here's what I mean by that. Somebody comes to Christ and they say, I'm going to give my life to Christ. I want forgiveness. Praise God. Praise God. Let me lead you in this prayer. We'll set a date for you to be baptized. We baptize them. And then what happens? They wander away. Because we're not teaching them. We're not pouring into them. We're not discipling them. And so they live the rest of their life in the world thinking that they're okay. And what we've done is we've vaccinated them against the Gospel. Here's what I mean by that. What does the vaccine do? You get just a little bit of the real thing so that you actually don't contract the real thing. What we do when we set the finish line so close, when we say, well, our goal is just to get people saved, we're not going to care about growing them, is we basically inoculate them and we say, you know what, here's just enough of the gospel so that you think that you're good, you'll never grow, you'll never come back to church, but you'll live the rest of your life in the world thinking that you're okay. And this is where it's relevant to us because I think that's very true of some people in this very room today. Because we think, I don't have to strive for maturity. I don't have to grow in Christ. I just go and sit on a church pew once a week. That's enough, isn't it? We've inoculated people just to the point where God's Word doesn't have an effect on them anymore. Because we set the finish line too early. But we shouldn't just think about us as a church. We should also think about us as individuals. Are you personally advancing towards maturity? Are you striving to be more and more mature in Christ? And here's a good test to find out. Are you closer to Christ now than you were a year ago? Are you closer to Him now than you were last year? If we're not striving towards Christ, if we're not striving towards maturity, maybe the reason is because we're not really Christians. Maybe we're just making a game out of this religion and we really don't know Christ. If we truly belong to Him, He will bring us into maturity. He will truly transform us. So if it's God's will that all His people reach maturity... What do I need to do? So what? God wants His people to reach maturity? Great. But what do I need to do? How do I play a part in that? And that's where He turns His attention to next. Look at what He says. He tells us, secondly, not just that we should strive for Christian maturity, but now He gives us our part in that. He says we should grow in Christ together. Now, I'm going to be honest. When I was preparing this, I'm just like, Paul... You basically told us to strive for Christian unity, and then you turn around and told us what we need to do is we need to grow. That sounds like a no-brainer. 
Sounds like a, you know, a one-point sermon. You just thank you very much. But as we dig deeper, we start to see that he doesn't just want us to do this on our own. But he wants us to do it together. Look with me at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, look at what he says, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head. Grow up in every way into Him who is the head. In order for us to reach maturity, I know this seems like a no-brainer, but in order for us to reach maturity, We've got to grow. Notice he says to grow into Christ. I love it because I thought we were already in Christ. And this is, this is the beauty of it. We are already in Christ, so we are called to grow up into Him. In other words, we are to grow up to become what we already are. My kids will grow up to be adult humans. Why are they going to do that? Because that's in their DNA. They're growing up into really what they already are. And for us, if we're in Christ, if we truly have been born again, if He's truly transforming us, we're just saying grow in what you already are. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. And the beauty of it is, that He doesn't tell us to grow and then we'll be in Christ. See, a lot of us get this backwards, don't we? We think, well, if I'm growing as a Christian, well, then God is happy with me. But actually, the Gospel is the other way around. The good news that we hold out to the world is not, well, just come in here, grow a little bit, and then God's going to be happy with you. But no, instead, it's Christ died for us. He lived the life, the perfect life that we should have lived he died as a sacrifice in our place so that when God looks at us, He accepts us just as we are if we're clinging to Christ. In other words, He's not expecting you to come in and grow and earn His favor by your performance. But He's saying, I've already forgiven you. I already love you. I'm already working in you, so therefore, go and be transformed. Go and grow into what you already are. In other words, we're not working to earn salvation, but we're working from salvation. So, he tells us that we are to grow up. I love the way that Peter puts it in 1 Peter 2.2. 2. He says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. That sounds opposite to what I just said, right? That you may grow up into salvation. But notice what he says. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. You've already tasted that He's good. You've already been saved. You've already been forgiven. So therefore, grow into Christ. Grow into Christ. So what are you doing to grow? What are you doing to grow personally? What am I doing to grow? Do you long to go deeper? Do you long for more and more of Christ? Or are you just content where, uh, just to stay where you are? A baby in Christ. 
And the question I simply have for you, I, I think we overcomplicate it sometimes. As we grow, how do we do that? It's just as simple as asking, what's the next step for you? And I can't answer this for every single one of you, but maybe for some of you, the next step for you is to get into Sunday school where you can go deeper in God's Word. For others of you, it may be to plug into a deeper Bible study. It may be to get plugged in on Wednesday nights where we dig deep into God's Word. Whatever the next step is for you, here's how you grow. Take it. Take it. Find the next baby step and take that step. So we're to grow. But we're to do it together. Notice what he says at the beginning of verse 15. How do we do it? By speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Y'all, this makes no sense. It seems to me that Paul would have just been better off to, to just tell us, well, you just need to grow. Here's what you need to do. But he incorporates the togetherness. He incorporates the togetherness in it. That we need each other. We don't just grow in isolation. We're not just to grow up by ourselves, but we're to grow up together speaking truth to one another. We need each other. We need each other to hold us accountable. We need each other to, to grow. Think about uh, children. I remember when, when Mary Beth, our first, was, was young, she had some, some developmental delays. She, her gross motor skills were, were not developing like they should. So we had to put her in therapy and they you know, worked with her and then they finally caught her up to where she was walking and crawling and doing all the things that, you know, that a two-year-old was supposed to do. But I've noticed with Elijah number two, since he's number two, he's picked up on things a lot faster I mean, he, he started crawling pretty fast. He picked up walking pretty fast. He started understanding and comprehending things pretty fast. Well, why is it? It's because he's not doing it by himself. For some reason, when even children together, it always seems like the second one or the third one or whatever number, the subsequent children pick up faster because they have older brothers and sisters that show them how to do things. They have older brothers and sisters to tell them when they are out of bounds and they're not following the rules. I mean, think about it. When you look at kids that, are, that grow up around a bunch of other kids, they usually mature more quickly. And it's the same for us. We're not meant to do this thing by ourselves. We're not meant to, to live the Christian life by ourselves. We're not meant to grow in isolation, but we need each other. We've got to have each other. And so we're called to speak truth to each other, to hold each other accountable, to tell each other truth even when it might not be the most pleasant. But notice what he says next. Speaking the truth but doing it in love. Doing it in love. The manner that we speak truth in is so important, church. 
as we grow together. As we grow. We live in a time when speaking your mind is so valued. I mean, that's good, right? We, we, we like that. I know I do. I would rather someone speak their mind and I know what they're thinking than to not speak their mind and I've just got to kind of guess. We live in a time where that, that's, that's treasured. In fact, so much so that, that there are times where we hurt people's feelings and we, we say, well, you know, I hurt that person's feelings, but I was just telling them the truth. I mean, we tear people down and say, but I was just telling them what the truth was. And we value that. But notice Paul's saying, that's not, just speaking the truth is not enough in and of itself. We've got to do it with love. In other words, that means that there may be times where we hold back because the person can't handle it. There may be times where just because something is true, I may not share it with them because it's going to tear them down. So how do we know if we're speaking the truth in love? If you struggle with it, I've got a good test. And I'm going to be honest, I struggle with this too. Here's a test. If you think that maybe there's something, you know, that you, you, you could speak the truth, but I just don't know if it's loving... The test is, it's probably not. Just keep your mouth shut. In fact, I, what I've noticed by people who telling me who are much older and wiser is, they say, Pastor, look, many times, if you're wondering whether or not you should say something, you probably shouldn't. No matter how truthful it is. Because it's better to be able to have the second conversation with that person than to make them so angry with the truth the first time that you never get to talk to them again. We're to speak the truth. We're to do it in love. And I love this last part. As we are growing together, Christ is at work. Christ is building. Notice verse 16 there. From whom... The whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Who makes the body grow? The head. Christ. As we're growing together, as we're trying to figure out this thing called the Christian life, as we're struggling and fighting sin, we know that Christ is at work and that He is building His church. That He's forming us together. And so we can have hope knowing that our Master is at work bringing apart, bringing about His purposes. Paul tells us that we're to strive for Christian maturity. He tells us that we are to grow in Christ together. As we look at this passage, we see that the finish line of our mission is to bring people to Christian maturity. But not just as the church, but for us as individuals. We're not done walking with Christ until we get to maturity. So listen, don't quit. Don't quit before you get to the finish line. Don't quit before you get to the goal. How do you do that? How do you strive 
or maturity, you grow. You grow. Are you growing? Are you yearning for more? Maybe this morning, if you want to answer that question, no, I'm really not. Maybe for you, this morning, you responding to this would just simply be you repenting. Repenting of your attitude of just being content where you are and, and yearning to go deeper. Maybe for others of you, that may look like you coming in and confessing sin to the Lord, saying, Lord, I'm confessing to you today that I've been walking and living in sin and I need you to forgive me. I need you to deliver me. Maybe you're not even on the path. Maybe you don't even know if you've started the journey. Listen, if you're not a Christian or if you don't even know, if you're, just, if you're kind of like, I don't even know where I am, I'd love to talk to you. Because Christ stands ready to receive you and to forgive you and to transform you. As we sing in just a moment, would you respond as the Holy Spirit leads you? Would you commit yourself to grow? And will we as a church commit ourselves to making disciples as Jesus tells us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word because it, it reminds us so often of things that we, that we miss. It reminds us when we think that we just need to get people to a certain point and then turn them loose, Lord, it reminds us that no, our, our calling as a church is to make disciples, to bring people farther and farther along in their walk with you. So, Father, as we, as we examine your word this morning and now as we turn and examine our hearts, Lord, we, we confess to you that your word is our authority. Lord, we put ourselves under your word, and so when it says that we need to change, Lord, we need to change. pray, Lord, that you would work in here this morning. And maybe if there's somebody here that they have their whole life been wandering in the world, yet saying, I, I was saved. Help them to see, Lord, the folly of their way. And Lord, help them to truly trust you this day. In Jesus' name.